Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Live and Learn. I'm joining you today again from the closet under my stairs, but I've just returned from beautiful Minneapolis, where I got to be a part of a team that was setting the raw scores for the new edition, the 11-12 edition of the TAPE, the Test for Adult Basic Education, that is due to come out very soon. It was just approved by the federal regulators, and which is very exciting. I began this process with DRC, the test maker, last year before the test had been submitted for approval. Uh, it was so it was a wonderful trip with some great folks and a really fun time. It's always nice to to be a part of such an effort. So I'm glad to be back in my old Kentucky home, though, for a bit before I'm actually heading to Georgia the next couple of weeks again to continue year one of standards implementation with the great people of the Technical College System of Georgia Adult Education Office. So lots going on. Um, But one quick announcement that I'm so excited to tell you is that I was just privy to a walkthrough with the web developer of the Seamless course. Seamless is a book that I wrote earlier this year, uh, for those of you who don't know that. And I've developed a course around it because it's all on contextualized instruction. So this is a course that SCR Consulting has coming out later this fall. And I was so giddy watching everything that we've worked on come to life on the screen. And so uh, it's all coming together very nicely and I wanted to share that with you. So you can learn more about the course at scr.consulting, which is my website. And I'm sure I'll keep you updated here as well. So lots and lots of good things going on. Uh, But today I want to jump back into the college and career readiness standards and or also known as the Common Core State Standards and talk a little bit about, as promised, the ELA, English Language Arts Key Shifts, where the name of the game is text. So we're going to jump in there. Now, as you probably know, within the English Language Arts Standards, There are four strands, four content areas, reading, writing, speaking and listening, and language, and lots and lots of different skills within those standards. However, they all have one thing in common. Uh, The shifts, the changes in instruction as a result of the ELA standards, there are three, just like in math, and they all have to do with text. The first is text complexity. The second is evidence. And the third is all to do with building knowledge. So we're going to break down each of those here today. So let's start first with text complexity. Now what this implies for us as teachers and instructors is that students should have regular practice with complex text and all its academic language, vocabulary, all those sorts of things. But what is meant by complex? It seems that lately I've noticed a trend that the words rigor and complexity or complex have started to be synonymous with difficult, and that's not the case at all, at least in this instance. Regular practice with complex text simply means that students are given opportunities to interact with texts worth reading. Now, of course, especially early on in elementary and even earlier, I know with my own two little ones who are three and five, obviously, I want them to read whatever they're interested in. And there's a great, a great amount of research out there um, that is saying, you know, we need to stop sorting 
texts by level, but rather by topic in elementary classrooms, just to be sure that students are engaging with texts that they want to read, which makes perfect sense. We we're not going to have lifelong readers if we're having students read things that they don't want to read. However, in the academic sense, and what we're doing with instruction, not necessarily that silent sustained reading time where kids should be able to read whatever they want, in my opinion, uh, when, we're, when we're using texts as a class, things that we're all looking at and examining together, we need to be sure we're using complex texts. So what that means is, first of all, we have to determine what level of text we're dealing with, especially in adult education, where we have many, many levels in one classroom. Uh, you have some of that in elementary school and middle school and high school as well. We know that just because a student is in the fifth grade doesn't mean that he reads at a fifth grade level, quite the opposite a lot of the time. But in adult education, there can be a range from a third grade level reader all the way up to an eighth, eighth and ninth grade level reader in the same classroom. And especially in adult education, it's harder to find the levels sometimes of texts and articles that we use. Because rather than having a set curriculum a lot of the time, we have lots of different things that we pull from. And K-12 does the same in a lot of ways. So first we have to determine the complexity of the text to even begin. So we do that quantitatively first. We can start with looking for the lexile level of the book. It's often included, if not in the book, on the publisher's website. And then from there, we can also, if, if Lexile isn't included, there's a tool online, and I know this is super technical, but the way I find it every time I use it when I'm making a lesson is I Google the words Renaissance and then Atos, A-T-O-S. That's Renaissance, Atos. And it's a text analysis machine or algorithm where I can copy and paste in a chunk of text, and it will analyze it for me and tell me essentially what the grade level is. So that's the quantitative rating of a text. That tells us what a computer thinks it is, and that's all based on sentence length and uh, typical vocabulary versus atypical for a level, as well as even word length, nuance meaning, things like that. So it's one smart computer, but it's still a computer. It's not a professional human being. So then the second element to that is we as professionals have to then look at the text ourselves, and we ask ourselves a few questions. We first look and see the text structure. If I'm looking at a text that I think I'm, I, my target is, let's say, a fourth grade classroom or an NRS level in adult education, an NRS three-ish, let's say, and I'm looking at a, an, a text that requires on my computer screen scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, you know what I mean by that, without any headings or subheadings, things like that, that's going to increase that text's complexity because the structure is a bit daunting for students. So let's think about what the structure looks like. Is it chunked in small sections with headings that tell us exactly what's underneath? Or is it that type of text that you have to scroll and scroll or turn the page and turn the page and turn the page? That's going to increase the text complexity. Second thing we have to look at is uh, language, clarity, and conventions. So we as people can look at the sentence length. Uh, how long are those sentences? Do they have lots of words that students aren't familiar with? Um, are there things that are brand new? Does it require a lot of information uh, that they should have had before in order to be able to understand it? That's going to increase the complexity. The next thing that we want to consider is the purpose of the text. Is it explicitly stated? For instance, is it titled, Why I've Stopped Riding a Bike to School? Well, that's a very obvious purpose. That's very explicit. So that's going to reduce the complexity somewhat if the author comes right out very obviously and says the purpose of the writing. 
If there's a lot of inference required, that's going to increase the complexity a little bit. If students have to dig and use evidence uh, in prior skills of finding evidence and inference, then that's going to increase the complexity. And the final piece to that is knowledge demands. Is there lots of information that's going to be brand new to students? Lots of new vocabulary. For instance, in the adult education classroom, well, in K-12 as well, when we start getting into career pathways. Think about the healthcare field and all of the vocabulary that is very specific to the healthcare field. Manufacturing as well, when you start talking about MSDSs, material safety data sheets, things like that. Those are new words to most of our students. So uh, if there's a lot of new vocabulary, a lot of background knowledge required to understand, if it's a technical text, that's going to increase the complexity. So those are all things to consider when you're looking at a text, trying to decide if it's appropriate for your audience. You know, and there are things that we can do that are going to help to reduce a complex text if we encounter one that we just fall in love with and we just have to use. I know this happens a lot in adult education. You know, when we're, we find an article that really speaks to our students or speaks to the topic that we're, we're wanting to discuss in class that day. But when you do this quick analysis, you realize that it's really too high level. I know I like to use, um, I used to look at Time Magazine, those types of things online. And those are really high-level texts, typically, that they employ and have in their resources. So there are things we can do that we'll get into with the other uh, key advances that will help to bring that level down a little bit. So moving on to those other advances, the next one is evidence. We want reading and writing grounded in evidence from the text. Questions, writing prompts, discussions, things, uh, other learning techniques, activities in class. We want students constantly having to go back to the text and find the answer there. Now, what this doesn't look like is reviewing the Constitution and then asking a question like, who were the founding fathers? That's a good question. And perhaps that's one that's going to help tie everything together for students. That's a good intro. That's a good hook, if you will. But they're not going to find the answer to that question in the Constitution. So we want to be sure students most of the time, 80% of the time or more, have to go into the text to find the answer. Now you can go online uh, and just, again, Google, because Google works for everything. You can Google text-based question stems and th literally thousands of things will come up. There are lots of little uh, cutesy things that you can print off of Pinterest. Teachers Pay Teachers has a lot. Jackson Consulting, uh, she's uh, someone I'm familiar with. She has some really good text-dependent question frames and then sample questions on, on her website. So I'm gonna use actually some of her information to give you an example. So a text-dependent question frame that would help to reduce the text complexity so if I have a question for students and I know that I'm using a text that's a bit too complex, um, I can frame my questions in a certain way that are going to draw students closer to the answer. I'm not giving them the answer, but I'm not just having them shoot in the dark and try to dig through the whole thing to find it themselves. And this is an example of a question that's going to help lead students at least a little bit. So you can say something like, in paragraph six, the author says blah, 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 blah. How does this describe feelings about blah, 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 blah? So I've already told them they can find the answer in paragraph six. That keeps them from spending 20 minutes rereading the article looking for the answer 
because it's too it's a little bit too complex for them. But that's still making sure that they're using and employing evidence from the text. Another example would be uh, we see in page 16 that the story takes place in Alabama. What does this tell you about da 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 da? You know, asking something about how the uh, a character in the story has been brought up, something like that. So there are lots of different ways that we can frame our questions that help reduce the complexity, make it more accessible for students. In the same way, if you have a text that's a little bit too easy, you can increase the complexity using your evidence, text-based questions. Don't give leads. Just ask basic inference questions. You can have students dig deeper uh, without giving any sort of lead. So there are ways to work with your text. Now, occasionally, of course, especially with working with kids, you're going to have to throw the whole thing out sometimes. A lot of the time, especially with adults, you're able to make texts more accessible additionally through modeling ahead of time, like a, a read through together then have students read through again with a partner, then interact with the same text independently. So that gives them three opportunities to interact with a text that's too complex on paper. But then with all that support, it's very much accessible to them. Also, similarly, if you have texts that are a little bit easier, you can have three different texts all using the same skill, such as finding key ideas and details. And then students are reading independently on a text that's slightly below their level, just to kind of boost those skills that they're learning through the text-dependent questions. Now the final key shift or key advance for ELA is building knowledge. We know that we live in a nonfiction world. Now I have an English degree. Fiction is about my favorite thing in the whole world. Uh, I love to read stories. Tell me a story. But we live in a nonfiction world. In fact, the GED test, for instance, it has 80% informational texts on it. And students are being driven to answer the question, what are you going to do for a job? How can you get a job? And workplace texts and career pathways, all those sorts of things. If we're looking at authentic materials that reflect the workplace, that's all going to be nonfiction. So we're building content knowledge through content-rich nonfiction. Especially in the adult education world, students need to be interacting pr predominantly with nonfiction. And again, because that mirrors what they're expected to know on the test and that mirrors their college experience that's coming up and that mirrors the workplace for them, that really gives us the opportunity to use a lot of authentic workplace materials in our classrooms. So some of my favorite things that I use in lessons that I make in ELA is uh, job descriptions, getting online, finding job descriptions, and then having students interact with those, Have a, write a summary of skills or uh, find keywords and look them up um, to learn some new vocabulary for the field in which they're interested. So job descriptions, workplace manuals like HR manuals, employee handbooks, informational articles even on the demand in a certain area or region for a job of interest. Those are all content-rich nonfiction texts that are going to help build knowledge. In K-12 in particular, but also in adult education, that's where our science and history texts can really come in. And that's where we have to be very diligent about being uh, cross-content in our teaching to be sure that even if I'm a science teacher, even if I'm a history teacher, I'm still employing those ELA standards of uh, finding evidence, key ideas and details, and text-dependent questions that really pull from those informational texts within my content area. 
So up until recently, there, real, there, there weren't standards in the common core college and career readiness realm that addressed science and history. And now we do have the next generation science standards. But the truth is we don't really need them as far as skills for reading, as far as what content is taught, of course. But the reading skills are the same for any content area that, that students are interacting with. On a side note, I had the opportunity to ask two premier trainers for the GED, um, Susan Pittman and Bonnie Goonan. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in a workshop of theirs at Kentucky Educational Television that they were leading on science and social studies for the GED test. And I had just finished making a whole lot of curriculum for several programs here in the state of Kentucky, including science and social studies curriculum, like actual lesson plans that they could use in those environments. And it bothered me that I didn't have standards to base those on. So I did pull in some high school, like the um, National Science Association those sorts of standards. But I asked, what sort of standards do I need to be using in, in these lessons? And they said, ELA. You know, of course, there's content that's going to be need, needed to be learned uh, and tested at all levels, K-12 and adult education. But as far as the skills that students need to actually interact with those texts, it all goes back to the ELA standards. So that was, that was a good answer and one that I very much appreciated. I like to hear things from the horse's mouth, if you will. So I was happy to get that answer. So really what we see is if we have students engaging with complex text and extracting and employing evidence from those texts, then building knowledge in a new area, we have the, the trifecta of ELA that is really going to help prepare students for college and career. On a side note as well, I still keep up quite closely with my English professors from college. I went to a, a, I was fortunate enough to go to a small liberal arts college with an absolutely stellar English department. And I was having dinner with them last year, and they were telling me that the caliber of English student, I graduated 10 years ago, the caliber of English student has just dropped drastically in the 10, in the 10 years. So of course, I'm, you know, thinking that I was the last great student they had. Just kidding. But the expectations have been so different. The shift in teaching has been so different in K-12 over the last few years. And that is reflected in students who are entering college. They can't write and they can't read critically. The whole idea is that the, the standards are going to help to shift that back the other direction. Uh, they really demand critical thinking, problem solving, and, you know, as we see here in ELA, complexity, evidence, and knowledge. And this is good news. I said that about the math, uh, but for ELA, in my experience, students will often come in, especially the adult education classroom, and say, I can read and I can write. I just can't do math. When the truth is, they can't read and they can't write, and they perhaps can't do math either. But they think that just because they can physically read what's on a page and physically put their pen to paper and write, that they can read and write. And we just don't see that as being true. So... That concludes another episode of Live and Learn. Join me again on next time as we delve into more education news and topics of interest. And in the meantime, stay curious.